Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 120 for October the 22nd, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. We've got a reasonably uh, full list of stories this week, and, and um, it's been a pretty good month for podcasts in the Chat Chat. I mean, this is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and we've posted quite a lot of pieces to the website, um, and we've done quite a few podcasts, and and I, you know, I think it's certainly we've had great feedback from the readers and listeners out there. I think it's been great. We have, and the really rewarding thing to me is that just uh, about a week ago, I wrote a story entitled "Try These Four for Free Sophos Tools You Can Use." And occasionally, when we do that, some people say, "Oh, ease up on the commercialism." But they also go, what do you mean I have to go and scan my computer for viruses? Why, you know, why doesn't this all get fixed automatically? We, we, we do occasionally get this reaction of people saying it shouldn't be my problem. We've had absolutely none of that this time. People have actually stepped out and gone and done the right thing. And I think they're recognizing that that cost of inaction by uh, sufficiently many people is actually bad for us all. So if we all lift our game a tiny little bit, Every single person on the internet wins, except the crooks, which is doubly good. Well, unfortunately, there is some action necessary uh, to start off this podcast, which is uh, Oracle released their quarterly updates. Uh, they had 127 vulnerabilities they fixed last week. Um, do you think there was actually more and they just ran out of bits? Oh, yes, I was just thinking, gosh, a power of two minus one. Is that a coincidence? No, I reckon they had 127 flaws to fix and they fixed them. There were some 50 or so that were potential remote code execution, weren't there? Yeah, that was just in Java alone. In the Java runtime environment, there were 51 uh, vulnerabilities fixed, of which 50 were remotely ex executable without authentication, which is kind of the worst case scenario. Basically, drive-by install of malware. No dialogues, no warnings. Thanks for coming, right? Pretty much. So, uh, you know, there's a write-up on Naked Security, again, with some advice. But the bottom line is, if you're using Oracle's JRE, get out there and fix it. There's an auto-updater that's built into your OS X. So if you're an Apple user, just uh, do a regular software check. If you're a Windows user running uh, current versions of the JRE, there's a control panel with an Update Now button in the Java control panel. And if you're a Linux user, uh, you're probably using a Java known as Iced-T, which was patched a few days later, and that's available through your standard distribution updates. Now, some, you know, we know that vulnerabilities obviously are, are accidental. Even if you're intentionally trying to make a backdoor, you usually don't end up with 51 vulnerabilities like Java had. But you have wrote about an interesting story that sounds conceivably much more the case to be an intentional backdoor, huh? Uh, you, you're talking about D-Link routers, aren't you? Yes, yes. Uh, a whole bunch of them were found to have a way of accessing the web interface without needing to type the password. Uh, and the, how it came about is a, an embedded firmware hacker chap discovered there was this weird-looking string that looked like rude cable OG betide. Uh, and he thought, oh, I wonder what that is. And so he had a look where it was used, and he found out that if your user agent string was set to this weird value, then it skipped the password check. So he wrote this up and then someone noticed, hey, if you reverse that string, you get edit by Joel backdoor. 
the supposition is that it was put in so that D-Link's own administration tools could sneakily contact the web UI without needing a password, um, or that it's just good old debugging and testing code that never got removed. Uh, either way, it is a strangely gaping hole. And folks, if you are a programmer, don't put hardwired passwords into your code, not even for debugging and testing. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit sloppy, and uh, hopefully we'll see an update that corrects it. I mean, that's another problem we've seen in the past with a lot of these uh, embedded firmwares and routers and things, is that even if they're broken in some way, like the infamous uh, you know disabled WPS button in some Wi-Fi routers that lets you set it to off, but doesn't actually turn it off, it's just a feel-good button, um, these things largely don't get fixed. So maybe the public pressure on D-Link will, uh, will, will get them to, to resolve this. Now, one of the things that's been impacting users the most this particular National Cybersecurity Awareness Month has been uh, a, a resurgence of this malware known as CryptoLocker. People have really reacted strongly to this. So we, we were seeing similar things early in the year that pretended to be policing agencies. So I think we had talked about it back then where they, you get an FBI warning or the, the RCMP, uh, the Mounties, are, are monitoring your copyrighted movie theft and you know demand that you pay a fine. They've now moved on to not pretending to be the police because I guess they've found better ways of getting you to pay. What's all the hubbub? I mean, people are reacting very strongly to this. Well, this is, if you like, the more devious sort of ransomware. The, the ransomware that locks your computer sort of holds your computer hostage, but normally you can recover, for example, using an antivirus program, maybe with a booting off CD or USB key, remove the malware, free up your computer, and then Windows will run again. In this case, the computer stays standing. It's your data that's sent to ruin. And rather than try and upload all your data to a server, which could take a long time, might be unreliable, what the crooks do is they send the malware on your computer a public key. Uh, the malware uses the public key to scramble all your personal files and then says, if you want to buy the private key off us, which of course you need to unlock your files, send us 300 US dollars, 300 euros, or two of your bitcoins, if you don't mind. We wrote about this on Naked Security and people are like, well, can I just, you know, hire a couple computers in the Amazon computing cloud and just break the key? Unfortunately, this time the crooks have not, it seems, made any blunders with the cryptography. They simply generate a key pair on their server. They send you the public key so you can lock your own files and they don't send you the private key so you can't unlock them again. Pretty much if you're not going to pay even though it's easy for me to say this, I have to recommend that you don't. Uh, if you're not going to pay, your files are shredded cabbage and you may as well delete them, remove the malware, take it on the chin and move on. Yeah, back, backups. I mean, we, we mentioned backups a lot on the podcast. This is just another time that they come in handy. So um, hopefully folks are getting the message and, and it, it is you know really cheap. If, if you listen to Chat Chat 119 and a half where I interviewed Rob Slade, you know, he points out that multi-terabyte hard drives are now available for less than 100 Canadian dollars. Buy one of those, back up your stuff, stick it in a, a, a safe deposit box, store it with a friend, whatever. And uh, of course, if possible, make sure you encrypt that as well. As far as Sophos Labs can see, the majority of people getting infected are either practicing poor hygiene with email attachments or they're getting infected 
because the crooks are using malware, a bot, a zombie, already on their computer to give them a free upgrade to CryptoLocker. So CryptoLocker, in a way, is very overt, very explicit, but doesn't steal any data. It just offers to sell you the key to unlock your own data. But the reason it got on to many people's computers is that they were already infected with a bot that could have allowed the crooks to do pretty much anything they want, including stealing passwords, recovering files, taking screenshots, running their webcam, all of that stuff. So in a way, if you've had CryptoLocker, it's probably an indication that you actually have more than one problem going on in your life with computer security. So it's a good opportunity actually to address both of those problems or all of those problems at the same time. That's a really good point. And, and they're using RSA 2048-bit encryption, right? I think I know where you're going with this, Chester. Yeah, I heard that Yahoo is going to be upgrading their uh, SSL uh, capabilities on their website to support 2048-bit by 2014. So they're No, no, no. You have it the wrong way around, Chester. By 2048, they're going to support 2014-bit encryption. <laughs> Fortunately, that's not the case. But that, that puts them only one year behind the ransomware guys and five years behind Google. So uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I guess it's good news if you're a Yahoo user that you'll be able to use, I guess, current bare minimum safety requirements for SSL certificates. And they'll also be supporting enabling SSL by default. So that, that's a good option. It was rather amusing. We wrote about this on Naked Security to say, OK, it is a bit late, but at least they've done it. Yahoo is going to make HTTPS the default. Uh, and no sooner had we written about it that we got some blurb through from uh, Yahoo's PR saying, oh, by the way, for an extra layer of security, we're doing this doubling of the key size from 1024 to 2048 bits. Isn't that great? And uh, of course, as your friend of mine, Mark Stockley of Naked Security pointed out, they're actually doing it one month after the expiry of the NIST deadline for adopting 2048 bits in the first place. So uh, they're trying to make a great PR push out of the fact that they're only a month late. Uh, only a month late for Yahoo is an improvement. So, you know, I, I don't think you should be too terribly critical. I, I personally use 4096-bit certificates for all of my work. But, uh, hey, um, Yahoo, you're almost halfway there. Last but not least, crypto when at least done correctly, even if maybe there aren't as many bits as we'd like, is pretty solid, right? I mean, 1,024 may be able to be compromised through a lot of effort targeting weaknesses in the, in the algorithm, etc. Uh, but WhatsApp, the private messaging, I guess it, I'm not very familiar with these things, but my understanding is it's like a uh, a, a internet-based SMS tool that you can load on your phone to instead of sending texts where your carrier may charge you for going over or 10 cents a text or something, you can sort of send virtual texts to your friends. Uh, Blackberry messaging for people without Blackberries, I suppose. Yes, yes. And and so they, they tried to knit their own uh, encryption and it went horribly wrong. Is that is that correct? Basically, as far as I can make out, what they decided to do is that they thought, well, they, they, wanted, they want per session encryption so that somebody can't sniff the messages coming to and from your device. So they decided to use a stream cipher. When you use a stream cipher like RC4, what you have, if you like, is a, a pseudo one-time pad. 
you get a pseudo random sequence and you XOR that with the plain text to get the cipher text, which means that you can actually encrypt byte by byte. You don't have to go block by block. Very, very convenient, but just like a real one-time pad, it is only secure if you use that stream once and only once. If you have two streams encrypted with the same key, then when you XOR those streams together, you basically cancel out the key. And that means if you know any text in either stream, you can cancel that out as well and recover data from the other stream. And that's what WhatsApp were doing. While you were sending messages, the replies coming in the same session from their server were encrypted with the same stream. So if somebody could control or guess what was in the messages that were going to you, they could recover all the corresponding bytes in the messages you had sent. Why wouldn't they just use TLS instead of trying to reinvent a round wheel and come up with a square one? Well, I think that's a good point to wrap up this chat chat. I want to make a, a brief editorial note, if you will. Uh, we will be transitioning the chat chat to a new web host uh, for podcasting. Some of you may be familiar with SoundCloud. Uh, we'll be moving the, the podcast to SoundCloud soon. So if you're on iTunes, this should happen automatically. If you're using a, a personal RSS uh, podcatcher, as they, I guess they call them, um, to consume our feed, you may need to update the URL. We'll, of course, be posting that on our website and at Naked Security, and, and I'll post a brief audio clip to this feed when that transition happens, alerting you to the location of the new feed. But I wanted to prepare everyone for that. And uh, Chester, if, if you're just going to Naked Security and clicking to listen online or downloading from Naked Security, exactly the same as before, right? Yeah, no changes unless you're syncing to a an iPod using uh, iTunes or a podcatcher or something like that. Other than that, you'd be just fine. Excellent. That concludes Software Security Chat Chat, episode 120. As always, for the latest news, including about the podcast, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Our podcasts are at podcasts.sophos.com on iTunes and via RSS. Until next time, stay secure. <laughs>